Chicago has long been considered as the birthplace of American serial killers. And with names like H.H. Holmes and John Wayne Gacy and Richard Speck ringing in the air, it's pretty easy to see why. Since January of 2001, there have been 51 unsolved and oddly similar homicides in the South and West Chicago areas, involving mostly black women who work in the sex industry. The murders were chalked up as high-risk lifestyles and addicts, thrown aside and given very little attention, marginalized for their lifestyle and their skin color. Chicago used to be a safe haven for black people who were fleeing the Jim Crow South looking for better opportunities, and for years, it was. Like a blooming black metropolis, the city grew in numbers, but with the influx of the black community came the withdrawal of whites, resulting in a loss of funds and support from the government. Because like the rest of America, racial inequality is woven into the fabric of Chicago's dark history. I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. During the 1980s, Chicago's South Side fell into a steep decline that included the loss of most of its factories, and in turn, saw a rise in crime. With factories shutting down, it became harder and harder to find work. The evidence of this is still visible in lower-income neighborhoods. The city of Chicago has long denied a lot of things, and the possibility of a serial killer in their city? Yeah, that's one of those things. But now, we're being told that this may in fact be the case. According to the Murder Accountability Project, there most definitely is a serial killer in the Chicago area. The Murder Accountability Project is a nonprofit organization started to track unsolved homicides nationwide. The organization then runs the data through an algorithm to determine areas that have low clearance rates and or patterns that may suggest the work of a serial killer. It was started by former White House correspondent and investigative journalist Thomas Hargroves and former FBI special agent Bill Hagmeyer. Each law enforcement agency has its own system for keeping a list of unsolved murders or unidentified victims, but the Murder Accountability Project aims to make one single national database to track all of these cases. So what does this mean for Chicago? Well, when these cases, and hundreds of others from Chicago, were run through the algorithm, a cluster of 51 was formed, sending up red flags and suggesting that these women were likely killed by the same person. And yes, they were all women but there could potentially be up to three perpetrators. So Chicago might not have one, but three serial killers operating in the area of the South and West Side. The South Side of Chicago has long been known for its gang violence, so it's no surprise there is little to no coverage of these murders. For instance, this same algorithm was run back in Chicago in 2010, and it threw red flags then that there might be a killer, but the city denied it, instead issuing a warning citing there was not enough evidence to prove the cases were connected and did not want to start a panic. Police apparently find it quote-unquote difficult to handle cases in that area, and with police brutality cases specifically against people of color at an all-time high, it's also no surprise as to why a mostly black community would no longer trust or cooperate with their local authorities. One giant negative from these broken relationships is that it can result in killers coming from outside of the town to commit crimes in these neighborhoods because they are less, less likely to be caught, because victims in the area are given little to no media coverage. The victim profile looked like this. Of the 51 suspected victims, 39 were black, 11 were white, and one was Hispanic. They were all female, and their ages ranged from 18 to 58. Most were sexually assaulted and stripped naked, and they all had similar causes of death, which included strangulation or asphyxiation. 
All of the victims were found in different locations, but in a fairly small area of the city. Two were found in their apartment, nine of them were left in abandoned buildings, nine were in vacant lots, seven were stuffed inside garbage cans, 14 were found in various alleys, and 10 more in scattered places, including a sidewalk, porch, river, and even parks. Some of the victims do differ in profile and where or how their bodies were found. For example, Nancy Walker was a Buddhist dance teacher who did not live a high-risk lifestyle, according to her family. She went missing, and her dismembered body was found in trash cans in an alley just days later. Two other women, Ethel Anderson and Lucy Set Thomas, were found with blunt force trauma to the head and strangulation, so it's possible they were also not victims of the same killer. But it is also possible in these cases that circumstances may have caused the killer to use or explore other methods. It is also possible these victims may have been able to fight their way loose or prove too much for the killer to overpower, so he was forced to take a more aggressive approach. Another example, in 2007, Teresa Bunn and Hazel Lewis were both found within 24 hours of each other. They had been placed in trash bins and set on fire. It is possible here that these two victims are from another killer, or again, if from the same killer, maybe he was trying to use a new method of disposal. Maybe the police were applying pressure, or they obtained DNA or fingerprints from another crime, so he upped his disposal technique to further destroy evidence. Who knows? DNA in some of the 51 cases was collected. In total, they've obtained around 20 samples. But unfortunately, and quite discouragingly, I might add, none of them match each other. But again, some of the women were sex workers, usually working when they were killed. So we can't be sure if the semen found was the killer's or just some random Johns. Illinois, mainly because of Chicago, holds the worst clearance rate, which is crime solved and closed, of any state in the nation, hovering around 20%, where the national state average is closer to around 60%. This complicates things when you are considering the algorithm, because it calculates low clearance rates along with high numbers of unsolved murders. And in a place where the clearance rate is already low, it may throw up red flags for actual unrelated cases, because there are just so many per capita. So while the Murder Accountability Project is certain in their statements that there is most definitely a serial killer in the area, Chicago PD are still adamant that more links need to be made, and that it is irresponsible to consider these cases connected without extensive knowledge of them. But some people are not waiting for the police to give the go-ahead. These women's stories were ended by someone, and there are people now attempting to bring light to all of their stories. One such group is the student journalist at Roosevelt University. Since the majority of the spring and fall semester at Roosevelt University was done virtually, it was not easy for students to complete the enduring task of taking on a class project that would identify and spotlight these women who are lost. The project was assigned by Professor John Fountain, who was once the Chicago Tribune's chief crime reporter and a former New York Times national correspondent. He sought to humanize these women again. Can you stop and think about that for a second? This professor and his group of students needed to humanize humans. This shows just how callous society has become towards murders and assaults against those who work in the sex industry and black women in general. For instance, when 51-year-old Nacy Walker went missing suddenly, it was reported to the police, but the newspaper's front page printing was the story of a 21-year-old white lady from over 1,500 miles away who had gone missing in Modesto, California. 
The news just brushes off when a black woman in South Chicago is murdered. And Professor Fountain and his group were determined to tell these stories. Quote, I am convinced that if there were 51 dogs that were killed in the city of Chicago, this city would be up in arms. And we aren't with these women who have been killed. And we have to change that in society to understand that every life matters. That was a quote by Professor Fountain himself. He points to the city's issues with the racial and class divides that have been long-standing in the south side of Chicago. And now in a time of growing distrust between police and the citizens in these communities, he says, we all need to work together if we're going to get this done, if we are going to catch this killer. I encourage everyone to visit the website and read the stories of these women. They have dedicated a lot of time and work into telling these women's life stories. Not just how they died, but who they were as people. And unfortunately, here on Sandu, we do not have the resources to give the same commitment and dedication to each and every one of these 51 women. So we do suggest that you head over to Unforgotten51.com and read about the amazing humans whose lives were stolen. There are beautiful pictures and biographies written by the group of student journalists and assisted by families and friends of the women. They did their homework. Like for real, they did a phenomenal job. I believe it's important to spotlight the potentially connected victims. But at the same time, we have to keep in mind that the Chicago PD are still saying that it's irresponsible to group these cases together without extensive case knowledge. And of course, confirmation from the CPD themselves. But we're going to group these victims together anyways to let their stories be known just to bring attention to these similar cases. So the first victim identified was Angela Mariana Ford. She was 32 years old. She was found in an abandoned building on January 4, 2001. She had been strangled. She was followed by five others in 2001. Then in 2002, six women were murdered, starting with Bessie Scott, who was found in February in an abandoned beauty salon. 2002 ended with the death of Celeste Jackson in December. She was found strangled and left in an alleyway. Then in 2003, eight were killed. Three in 2004, five in 2005, three in 2006, four in 2007, one in 2008, and three in 2009, including one woman, Vanessa Rajakovich, who was found asphyxiated by means of a plastic bag that had been taped over her head. Her body was found on the banks of a river. Though Vanessa's case looks like it may not fit the same killer's profile, Back in 2006, one of the victims, Antoinette Simmon, was also found to have been asphyxiated with a plastic bag, but her body was instead left in a city trash bin. Then in 2010, the numbers began to drop with two that year, then one in 2011 and 12, but 2013 had no suspected linked cases. Then the numbers picked back up with two in 2017, so we have a four-year gap there and then two more in 2018. The last woman on the list is Rio Hollifield. She was not a sex worker, according to her family, and her death is listed as undetermined, because when she was found, her remains were too decomposed to confirm, but it is listed as a possible strangulation. So what's with the years where the killings dropped, right? Is it possible the person or persons were incarcerated during these times? Is it possible the killer underwent life or health changes that kept him from being able to kill more victims? It's possible he was out of town or was unable to get to Chicago and may have possibly been killing victims somewhere else during these years. All we can do is speculate at this time. 
Any of these cases are possible, as we have learned in recent history, with the discovery and capture of Samuel Little, who confessed to killing over 90 people, with 60 of those being confirmed. We know he preferred killing sex workers because he thought he was less likely to be caught that way, which, unfortunately, he was right about that. But we also know that Little crossed the country to kill his victims, killing in 19 states, with most of them being concentrated in Florida and California. We also know that his preferred method of ending a life was strangulation. Little's victims were killed in the same manner as the Chicago 51, but he never confessed to any of the ones on the list, although it's speculated he did not remember all of the women's names or even where he'd killed them. Strangulation is becoming a lesser-used method of killing here in the United States. With the advanced DNA and fingerprinting technologies growing every day, killers know strangulation has a large margin for error, and when it comes, especially when it comes to leaving behind evidence. This has pressured killers to move to things like guns, knives, and other methods that are less traceable. But it also makes it easier for authorities to make connections when several strangulations happen in a small area. It is also possible that some of these women's killers are behind bars, and that they were, more so, individual crimes. It's also possible that this person is still out there, and already has more victims since 2018 somewhere else. We will never know until this person or persons is caught, no matter the circumstances whether these women were killed by a serial killer or all different murderers. Whether they were sex workers or addicts, it does not matter. They deserve justice, just like everybody else. I'm attaching a link to the petition for Chicago PD to consider this an active serial killer case. If it is something you're interested in signing, check it out below. The sources are below the description of every single episode. Also below the sources, you will find a detailed list of the year and a brief description of every single victim. So, guys... I hope that you have enjoyed this episode, but furthermore, I hope that this episode has caused you to look into this and hopefully um, sign this petition and hopefully Chicago will look into this. Like, like I said, regardless of this is a serial killer case or not, this is unacceptable. A clearance rate of 20% cannot stand in one of America's biggest cities. That's just, like I said, that is unacceptable. LA is like 75%. It's insane, right? You see where the priorities are. The south side of Chicago needs to be prioritized. And that's how I feel about it, guys. Um, I hope you enjoyed this case. Hopefully we will get some more information to connect some of these victims very soon. Uh, I think with the rise in DNA and Ancestry.com and 23andMe and all this stuff, you know, the way that they're able to connect DNA, I think it's only a matter of time. If there is indeed a serial killer. If not, then we got another serious problem. But let me know what you guys think. Uh, send me an email at snupodcast at gmail.com if you want. Uh, if you want to talk about this case. Or of course you could tweet at me at snupodcast. Any Chicago residents out there? Do you guys feel this type of... Do you feel any type of um, pressure being put on the police to solve any of these crimes? Have you even heard about any of these crimes? I would be very interested to know, especially if you're in the Chicago area. So, all right, guys. So with that, I think it's time to check in with a good buddy, Lorne, in this week's Lorne Synopsis. It's time for Lorne. It's time for Lorne Synopsis. Breaking down the case like... 
breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren synopsis. Breaking down the case like breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren synopsis. Breaking down the case like breaking down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here. Here to get my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained. The 51 unsolved murders of young women in southwestern Chicago spanning over the last two decades since 2001 until current day. Most of the bodies being found in either dark alleys of abandoned buildings or garbage cans. Most of the victims also being uh, sex workers or drug addicts. Um, This is the big question is, is this the work of a single individual of a Gary Ridgway type character who is using people who are um, marginalized, who are living a more risky lifestyle as far as the city and police are concerned, and maybe they're not searched for when they go up missing uh, as much as, you know, someone who isn't in that scene, um, as someone taking advantage of them. Is this a single person or is this just a, you know, an issue where there's many different perpetrators using and abusing these women and throwing them out like trash um, and getting away with it. I leaned towards the latter initially when I looked into this. I thought there was just no way this is the work of one individual. There's just too many. Um, but we've seen some extremely, extremely successful serial killers over the years. Most of the most, almost all of the most successful serial killers, you know, uh, their victims tend to be sex workers. We've talked about it at length on True Crime Guys. As far as, you know, the most successful serial killers tend to go after the marginalized, the, the, the ones that police tend to not look for as hard, sex workers, drug addicts. Um, and I started to lean, the more I looked into this, that this was actually the work of, a, a, of one to two individuals. It's hard to believe they could be successful for 20 years, but Chicago also has one of the highest murder rates. So I'm sure their homicide unit is extremely overworked and it's hard to keep up with all of the murders that are occurring there. Um, the thing that made me believe this is what sold me on this being the work mainly of one individual was the the gap from 2014 to 2017. Speculation is that this serial killer was locked up during that time for something unrelated. And that's why there was this break because someone like this doesn't just stop. Um, so I, I tend to believe that this is the work of one to two individuals, um, just because the the commonalities of all of the, the victims, the way that they're found, disposed of, um, and, and I think it's going to take one of these women fighting back and getting away. That's a lot of times how we see these serial offenders get caught, is someone fights and survives and runs off, and they give a description to police of the car and of the perpetrator, and I'm hoping as this perpetrator gets older. I mean, we've been doing this. If it's, if it is the work of one person, this person has been doing this for the last 20 years. It's getting older, getting cockier, going to make a mistake at some point. And that's usually how serial killers get caught. So that's all we can hope for is that awareness of what's going on in Southwest Chicago. And, you know, as far as the danger that these sex workers are in, that that word is spread around as much as possible to where they are very, you know, on edge with each person that picks them up and very weary that, you know, they could be the next victim and they can end up making this perpetrator the victim ultimately.
and either kill them, them kill him themselves when he attacks them or get them locked behind bars. Um, that's, that's what I hope for. I think that will happen eventually. And I do lean towards this being the Chicago strangler being the work of mainly one individual. Um, so yeah, that's my thoughts. Hope you guys enjoyed it. See you next week. All right. All right. Lauren, thank you so much for that synopsis. As always, look guys, Lauren's on the serial killer train. He's on it. He believes it. That gap is so strange, right? 2014 to 2017. None of them were killed in that way. Come on. We need to start looking at who got arrested in the Chicago area, right? Although I would love to see some just good vigilante justice, some just sex worker vigilante justice. They're just out there beating the shit out of this guy on the street. They finally find him. That would be great. That'd be absolutely great. You know what these women need to do as well? Maybe they should. Hmm, I wonder if they all have like some type of tracking device where they could keep up with each other. You know how they have like those stickers they could put on the back of their phones and stuff, and then you can track shit? They could maybe all have access to that, or maybe they have something that they only have with them while they're working, and then they leave it somewhere on the same location when they leave. I don't know. I'm just thinking, trying to think outside the box here, a way that they could look out for each other, and family and friends could look out for them as well. I think the real issue here is is the way that we view sex work in our society. I got bad news, peeps. Like, sex ain't going nowhere. People have always loved sex. They will always love sex. People will always find a way to have sex. This shit needs to be legalized and regulated so these workers can be protected. This is ridiculous. That is the main reason that these killers can focus on them. How many areas of our society can a killer really get away with being this prolific other than killing sex workers, especially minority sex workers? It just it just seems like basic math, guys. We got to we got to change the thinking around that. We got to change the thinking around the whole industry to really get to the root of this problem. And uh I know that's some big hurdles for people. I understand that. Um, but that's another discussion for another time, but either way, I hope I have brought some awareness to you guys about this issue in Chicago. Hopefully you'll look into it yourselves. Uh, like I said, if you believe in the serial killer theory, then please sign the petition. Let's get a little pressure on the Chicago PD. Do what we can. I don't know. I mean, people have done amazing things. You internet sleuths out there. Um, we can do shit, right? We can do it. But guys, I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast, giving it a chance. If this is your first episode, welcome to Strange and Unexplained. Um, please check out our other episodes as well as another podcast under True Crime Guys Productions called True Crime Guys. It's, it's the OG, right? It's me and my buddy Lauren, who you heard in the synopsis. Uh, we break down cases like cardboard boxes, but we we add a little levity and sometimes we joke, but not at the victim's expense. Like, don't get it, don't get it twisted, okay? But anyways, guys. Shoot me a, uh, a message. Go follow me at social media at SNU Podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, Strange and Unexplained on Facebook. If you're still doing the Facebook thing, Facebook's catching a lot of heat these days. Either way, uh, I just want to thank you guys so much for, for listening, for sharing the show. Leave a review if you can. Speaking of reviews, I want to give a shout out to a couple of new reviewers this week. I appreciate that very much. want to give a big old Sandu thank you to Chris Kaboom. She says, Five stars. Tasteful. I'm a Vegas local, and I love the boys at True Crime Guys. 
Michael's spinoff is so much fun. The music and storytelling is top-notch. Keep up the great work. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, I also want to share another review. Uh, It's not necessarily a five-star review, but it's it's one of my favorite reviews so far. It's a three-star review from a reviewer named Tan Noodle, and it says, Not sure about all these rave reviews. It's fine. I love it. Perfect. That encapsulates the show great. Uh, <laughs> but if you if you feel a little more uh, profoundly about the show, if you, if you have a little more love for the show than that, you guys go check out Patreon. Patreon.com slash S&U podcast. For just three bucks a month, you guys get early access to this show as well as access to another show I do called Strange Shorts on a weekly basis. So... And at the $5 here on Patreon, you will get access to both of those perks as well as Sandu Stories and the very, very sought after Sandu Patreon sticker. Exclusive to Patreon, only place you can get it. It's got the old the old school logo on it now. I've already changed the logo, right? Well, you, you know, you get inspired, you throw stuff out. I told you guys at the very beginning of this podcast, stuff was going to change. It's a roller coaster ride, okay? You guys hang in there with me. Don't fall off, okay? Twists and turns. There's a lot of stuff going on, but it's all good. Just like our merch at truecrimeguys.threadless.com. Okay, I'm done. I'm done plugging this stuff. You know how it goes. If you don't tell other people about you, nobody will, right? It's it's a fucking catch-22. Anyways, I'm done jabbing, guys. I'll see you guys next week for a new strange and unexplained case. Sandu stories in two weeks. All right, guys, be strange. Just don't be strangers.